0: Dana is going to share about one of the coolest museums that we have ever been to, and I'm going to put a learning concept to rest. It's the Learning Geeks podcast coming up now. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, folks. Jake, Dana, it's good to
1: be talking to you again. Yeah, it's good to be back, even though it's cold. That's welcome. Good to be back. Cold? What is that? Are you guys cold? Yeah, I don't know California sun, but it's pretty cold. It's been snowing, and um, it was a pretty big shock coming from Florida when it was 88 degrees, and then to <laughs> here, which was 28 degrees when we came back.
2: And yeah. it's only going to get colder here, so we've got a lot of good things to look forward to.
0: Well, that'll be that'll be fun. Yeah, it's a little chilly around here. It's probably in the upper 60s or so but it's cloudy. We've been struggling. So we're, we're recording this. I'm not sure when we'll actually post this, but we're recording it the week before Thanksgiving. So the Monday before Thanksgiving. And, um, we're just, the week just where most of,
1: people, the week where most people start to check out. <laughs> Especially for those hopefully, hopefully people will check out our <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Exactly. So, uh, so it's that week, but we've been in Southern California, you know, we've been faced fighting the fires and, yeah. um, I don't want to be too somber before a Learning Geeks podcast, but um, fortunately one of the things I'm thankful for is is my family and myself are safe and okay. Uh, We do have some friends who had some considerable losses and that's just very sad. So our hearts go out to all of those people. And um, for everybody in Northern California where the air quality is really bad right now, please take care of yourself and you know, put a mask on and,
1: and all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So. It's just, it's just a hard story to hear. I mean, I know for you, for being out there, you hear it every, every day. And I mean, we hear it all the time too, but we're, it, it seems so far for us because where we're at, Yeah. but um, it's just but when you, when you start
2: story. to uh, hear the numbers, 10,000 or over, over 10,000 structures destroyed, you start to think about the not only the individual homes but the businesses and the people who had careers in some of those places that won't be transferable or even a thousand people that are
1: unaccounted for you know the numbers it's just just a sad thing I, i wish we could always do more i know there's more to do there's always things that we can do from wherever you're sitting at so whatever those are definitely uh take whatever charity options you can and 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 go with it please do all right, let's lighten it up a little bit, huh? For sure. Okay, so, so Dana, uh,
0: you and I this past summer got a chance to experience a museum that made an impact on both of those. And I know you yeah. wanna talk about that today. Why don't you to dive in on that? And I'm sure Jake and I will jump in as, as needed.
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. It was indeed one of the best museums I've ever been to, if not the best museum. And it was not that it was a huge museum, But it was an excellent museum in the fact that it told a a beautiful story, an interesting story. And it told the story with a bunch of subplots. So each exhibit almost was a subplot of the big story. So the museum we're talking about is in Stockholm, Sweden. It's called the Vasa Museum. Now, the Vasa was a ship, and frankly, I'd never heard of the Vasa before. But after having experienced that museum, it's something that I, I will never forget. So a little bit of background. The the Vasa was to be the most powerful warship in the Baltic in the 1600s. The idea behind the way it was being built and designed was it was supposed to strike fear into the hearts of anybody who opposed the kingdom of King Gustav II Adolf. And the ship, part of the design, it had 64 cannons on two different levels. Now, the two different levels was something that had never been done before. That was a design that was introduced by the king. The cannons were also bigger than any other cannon. Um, they were, because of that, they were heavier than any other cannon. Uh, and Vasa also had a very large crew. Most of the crew were soldiers who could both man the guns and also overwhelm any enemy that boarded the ship. So this was the dream of, of King Gustav. Uh, it was to be big, it was to be massive, it was to be uh, intimidating, and it was to be one of the crowning accomplishments of his reign. Now, when I started the explanation, you'll notice that I said it was, was to be the most powerful, and it was to be a crowning accomplishment. The, wa- the was is important because the ship was built, and it did sail. But here's the rest of the story. During the construction, the designer, a guy whose name was Heinrich Hybertson, he was an experienced and well-respected master shipwright. He would get revisions from the king because, of course, everybody knows the king knows best. Instead of one floor of cannons, the king said, we're going to have two floors. Instead of standard cannon designs, we're going to have bigger, meaner cannons. Uh, the boat, he wanted it to, to keep it narrow and tall to ensure that it would be speedy and be able to race through uh, at, with just a little bit of wind. And the the shipbuilder, as he would get these revisions from the king, he would be increasingly concerned with each revision that the design that the king gave. But the king knew best, and everybody knew that um, the shipbuilder he was not really in a circumstance; he didn't dare protest the revisions. But he forged ahead. He built the ship consistent with every whim that the king introduced. Um so I said the ship sailed. So it was on a Sunday in August of sixteen twenty eight. The Vasa set sail and it was a calm day. But did the you, challenge did you take, was like, that
0: thorough notes when you went to the <laughs> I, <laughs> I I don't I remember thought. you walking around with a notepad, but getting the dates, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I said, it was an impressive photographic museum, memory, right?
2: This is incredible. Dude, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did take a lot of pictures. You did, yes. Um, so uh, anyway, Sorry, I didn't so mean to, it, I didn't mean to blow your vibe. Go ahead. No, that's fine. That's fine. It was we needed that let whatever seven minute break or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it was a calm day, and the boat was starting to go out into the 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 bay. But even a slight breeze caused because it was tall, right? It caused it to tip a little more than it should have. So the first breeze came and then the ship started going down, but then it was able to correct itself. And then a little bit stronger breeze came. And then what happened is because the cannons were heavy and the doors to the cannons were open, the water started rushing in to the lower level of the cannon bays. And that really just kind of took the ship down because once the water started coming in and they couldn't get uh, get get the water out, The ship just went down and for three hundred and thirty three years, it sat at the the bay floor. Um, And because it was deep enough, nobody really knew where it was. You know, this was in the 1600s where they didn't have all sorts of sonar technologies and things like this. So it was in um, it it was in 1956 when they finally located it. And in 1961, uh, they actually were able to raise the ship to the surface. And then over the next couple of years, they um, preserved the ship. And so the Vasa Museum, you can actually go in and you can see the ship. You can't walk on it, but you can walk all around it on two or three different levels. You can see what's left of the cannons. You can see the cannon holds and it's just an extremely impressive thing. So it was great from a storytelling perspective. But to me, it was also interesting to think about this idea that the king knew best. And the way that I like to relate that to learning is sometimes we are looked at as being experts in certain things. And we feel like, hey, I need to have the answer to that. Um, but when we do that, if we don't really have the answer, um, we're, we don't have the humility like the king would have benefited from, um, to, we might just say, this is the way it is, and have that king knows best attitude. And I think, you know, this time of year is a time when a lot of companies have performance management discussions with their employees, right? I think as employees, we would benefit from uh, thinking about the story and going, you know what, sometimes I don't know best. I I need to be humble and I need to take honest and candid feedback uh, because in the end, it'll help to, I don't know, design a better ship. So, Bob, what were some of your impressions as we went through the museum? oh there's so
0: many good lessons um you know one of the things that i remembered is the reason why the wood stayed intact at the bottom of stockholm harbor was because it was so polluted right that all of the the bacteria that would typically eat away at the wood of the ship were, were dead it's like there's nothing there and so it just sat there idle and protected by mud and you know there's a uh, there's definitely a an environmental lesson to be had there. Um, it's interesting, Dana. I think the lesson you walked away with as a learning designer is a little bit uh, more noble than mine. Mine was a little more victimy <laughs> because I, I immediately started thinking about all of the stakeholders that come mm-hmm. to us and are like, "We need oh, yeah. a three-day in-person classroom session to teach stuff," and yeah. you know, and, and so the lesson I walked away with from that was, you know, how many people. How many people looked at that ship being built in Sweden and were just like, there is no way this thing's going to sail? Because I tell you, I I know nothing about boats and boatsmanship. I have a phobia of the open water. Uh, I like going on cruises, but I really, other than that, do not want to touch water in the wild. Um, and I looked at that. And I was like, there's no way that thing's going to sail. It's, it's super tall. It's got super tall masts, and there was no... It it was like flat on the bottom. It it looked like a weeble. Like there's no way that that thing was going to stay upright.
2: And how different would it have been if the shipbuilder would have been comfortable having the discussion with the king about the very things you're talking about, right? Exactly. The the whole history would have been very different.
0: Right, right. And it's kind of the same lesson as the fable of the emperor's new clothes, right? Like do you have the guts to actually stand up to the king and, and speak your truth. So it's interesting as learning designers, because I think a lot of what we have to do is very subjective, right? We're, we're relying on our experience and our training, our knowledge, our education, but our opinions as we're designing experiences. And so it's kind of both, right? It's like we we do need to advocate for what we believe. We need to speak up and say what we think is true, and at the same time, we do need to be open to other thoughts because maybe we're not always right. Um, and, and that's one thing where, as we start getting more into an agile way of developing learning assets, where we're doing quicker iterations and more frequent testing and prototyping and things like that, I think that really makes our profession that much better. Now we can try things out. We can see if it works. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, we can move on. And we haven't invested, you know, all of our time and effort into something that fundamentally isn't a good idea. Yeah.
1: You know, that the, the mindset of the agile mindset and the iterative approach, there is a topic that I probably would bring to another podcast, but this is a perfect tie-in is that I've had this question and I, I've got this over the last couple of weeks after interacting with more and more people. Um, When we went down to the conference and so on, is that how do people, either learning professionals or educators, how do they actually take on an innovative mindset in a space that's so familiar with doing the familiar? Um, and, And what I mean by that is that there's so many people, like the king or whoever, who think they know what. Uh, what learning is or what good learning is, is because everyone's learned something before, right? Someone that, that, I think that's what's so hard in our space is that we do have a lot of these King-like mindsets where they think they know what is best and, and a lot of vocalized people. So I'm very curious to know, like, how could we, you know talk about that to how do people take that approach how do people take that innovative mindset approach when they may have someone again that's really familiar doing the familiar? well
2: jake i think you bring another interesting uh, dimension of the conversation because a lot of what we do has to be collaborative because no one of us really understands the whole you know the whole puzzle around how to solve a particular learning challenge and if if right. if you have just a, a very myopic view you're going to end up with a very myopic approach to learning.
1: Totally. You know, one of the funny things is back to that story, yep. Dana. When, when you were saying the story, the first thing I wrote was designed by the king question mark. <laughs> <laughs> you said specifically designed by the king, which, I mean, I, I remember when you mentioned the story, I did look it up and that, that ship was awful looking. <laughs> <laughs> I have no expert at all on that, but it did look very, very high. And didn't look like that balance at all yeah. over water. Well, and
2: sometimes tying back to Bob's comment, right? Sometimes that's what it is with our uh, with our our sponsors, right? They already have the design in mind and they say, this is what I need. Just build this. And that, that's a dangerous area to be playing in because then at the end, when it doesn't achieve the results and, you know, well, why didn't you tell me I shouldn't build that? Because you're yeah. the king.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think the right attitude, you, we could probably do a whole show about this, but You know, the right attitude in those moments is to say, Okay, I hear you want a three day workshop. Can you tell me, you know, what are you looking forward to in that three day workshop? What does that look like to you? What do you think is going to happen? And to use the old covey phrase, seek first to understand and really dig in and try to understand why they're coming up with that. And maybe there's a very good reason it should be three days, a good business reason, and we've got to consider that as a design constraint. But maybe. That's just the idea they have in their head. And when they dig in a little bit more, you can help them see other opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we should have a, a whole episode to this. Now I'm, my brain's going even more and more because I'm thinking about, you know, from my wife's side, who is an, uh, you know, she's an educator, so she works in the K through 12 space. And often whenever she wants to bring an in innovation, it, she's usually locked in by some type of regulation or some state governed thing that, you know, that they want them to do. And it's very, very hard to actually innovate um, or to change things. So I think it'd be kind of cool just to, we should probably have a whole other topic just on this. Cause I think we can yeah, go with time on it.
2: I think Jake, I think, and Bob, building off what you just commented on, the idea of asking the strategic questions at the strategic time really mm-hmm. does impact yep. the end result. and And if you're not asking those questions, you're not going to get the optimal result. That's right. Well, that's what I wanted to share. Just, uh, you know, the king knows best. Um, Great museum. If any of you are over in Stockholm, highly recommend going and visiting the Vasa Museum.
0: Everybody who I talked to when I said I was going to Stockholm said, make sure you go to Vasa Museum. So I- You went to the ABBA Museum too. I did go to the ABBA Museum, which was a little sad. I Uh, missed that one. (laughs) There's not so many, not so many lessons or applicability to learning from the Abba Museum. It's an experience.
2: <laughs> Stockholm's a great that. city. Yeah, Stockholm yeah. is. A My favorite city.
0: part, data about Stockholm, and then yeah. I'm going to transition here. Was remember we were walking around? It was a beautiful day. Everybody was in shorts. Everybody had ice cream, and we asked somebody, you know, is this a typical summer day in Stockholm? And they said. Oh no, we get like one day a year that's like this, and everybody walks around and wears shorts and eats right. ice cream on that day. Right. <laughs> they, they all have one pair of
2: shorts that they wear one time a year. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so we were very lucky. So, all right, let's uh, let's turn a corner. Uh, we are past Halloween, and yet I am going to try to lay to rest a zombie of an idea. We we need good like you know funeral dirge music, Jake. At some point, you know, we well, said that, that last time. That means that you didn't,
1: didn't listen to our. <laughs> Yeah, you, I was gonna say you didn't listen to our last podcast then because I think I added, I added some type of funeral <laughs> I music. I did. If you didn't like it, that, if, if that's the way to say you didn't like no, it. No,
0: I, I forgot. It. I missed it. I, maybe I didn't listen to that one back <laughs> when we were done. So okay. Um, anyway, funeral dirge music. Okay, here's the idea that that I want to kill. Um, Well, here's the story behind it. I was just having a conversation with somebody about a learning experience they had designed. It was like a leadership development program. And they were very proud of an activity they did where all of the participants walked into the room, the the big room where they had been all week, and all of the chairs were stacked up like in a big, gigantic pile, like some on the edge, some on angles and stuff like that. It was, it almost looked like a sculpture. All of the chairs were on the pile. And the participants walked in and they kind of stood around the edge of the room and they looked at each other. And then the faculty person came in and said, well, why isn't anybody sitting down? And the participants looked at each other and said, well, we didn't know that we could take a chair from the from the pile. And they said, well, nobody told you that you couldn't, did they? Why aren't you thinking out of the box? Why aren't you stretching out of your comfort zone? And all of these other cliches and things like that. And they were very proud of this. And, and I have to admit, I have probably from time to time designed learning activities kind of with a similar feel to it. And I'm going to call these the the mind screw activities. I probably could call them something different, but this is a family show. So we'll call them the mind screw where it's like, (laughs) you know, you put participants in a deliberately confusing situation and then you just kind of sit back probably with a little bit of a smirk on your face and watch to see what they do or not do and then make some very Judgmental comments about, what, you know, why what their motivations were, or why they did, or why they why they didn't do things like that. And I would like us all to pledge that we are never going to do those type of experiences again. No more of those. Let's think out of the box. No more of those. Uh, you know, let's get out of our comfort zone. Try to avoid those and as I say that, I'm going to backpedal just a little bit because I do like abstract learning experiences. I like types of things like going to the Vasa museum and thinking, Hey, you know, what can I learn from this that I can apply to my job? Uh, I, I am all for that type of thing, but those work, those work and they work the best when there is a very clear connection between what you're experiencing in that abstract activity and what the actual learning objective is. And so often when I've seen these things run, that is not clear. You know, it's not made clear. And so the learning doesn't really take place. So maybe you stretch out of your comfort zone in terms of grabbing a chair off a pile or, you know, even like a ropes course type thing, right? Like like being brave enough to climb a telephone pole or something like that. But can you really make that translation from that experience back to something that you're going to apply at work that we need you to? I'm a little bit more skeptical about that. And, you know, my my last thought on this, and then I'll see what you guys think about it, is um, I, I think right now it doesn't work because now people kind of expect it, right? So it's like if you walk into a corporate training event and there's something weird, like all of the chairs are in a stack in the middle of the room, or the participants are gone, but now they're all cows or something you know something bizarre it's like okay you know that it's some gimmick and you kind of just sit back and wait right like you're not going to dive in and interact um you're just going to kind of sit back and say okay what is the gimmick like tell me what it is and if anything it's going to cause frustration as opposed to that peak aha experience so that's why i think that we should lay these things to rest
2: If this wasn't a podcast, you'd be seeing me nod my head on so many of the things (laughs) you're talking about. So I don't know if you guys know this, but several years ago, um, I actually led some of the high ropes courses, and um, you know we had them over at our uh, one of our training locations. And you know, honestly, there were some of the things, some of the activities you engage people in, where it was pretty easy to make the connection. Right, because there's basic communication Mm -hmm. or you could put constraints on them. But there were some other ones that were to me were kind of stretching it. And that might have been because I didn't quite get them as a facilitator or it might have just been that they were poorly designed. I think part of the key of what you're talking about is there's this notion. And I think we could talk about this at some point, too. There's this notion of having desirable difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. Because learning is supposed to be hard or we know that if learning is hard, Uh, that it's more impactful. But if it's too hard, if you can't make the connections, um, then it's really not of value. And I think part of what you're talking about is, you know, you can't even make the connections in some of these things. Right.
0: A a wise person once said that it should be effortful.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right? And every time we talk about that, I think about flow. And, you know, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi's work around flow being that that perfect balance between uh, challenge too challenging and too hard and too easy and too boring. Yep. And when you're in that valley in between, that's that effortful state that we're going for. And a lot of times when we have experiences like this, it's just pushing into the too hard or at least frustrating.
1: Right. Right. And, and there was this great talk that I remember uh, watching, it was, it was an MIT talk. And a couple of neuroscientists were on there, and, and I, I was rushing to try to find this direct quote, but there's a negative side effect of amplifying the amygdala, meaning that it can be so intense, meaning the memory, which then strengthens that scene. So we may not remember anything about the actual content, just the fact it was intense. So basically, mm. we we will forget anything that was good or the actual intent of something, and we're only going to remember the bad or the challenging, and then that's going to be the scene that we remember. We're creating mm. a scene within our memory, and that's what's going to happen. So there is that fine line to do it within anything we do, and if we overstretch the point the point and just make it, again, a gimmick, you're just going to remember the gimmick, not the actual <laughs> right. point of it.
0: Well, I think at the end of the day, if you as a learning designer run an activity, and at the end of it you feel like that kid from The Simpsons, and you want to go, aha uh-huh. <laughs> like you're probably doing it wrong that's not the type of experience you want to create for your learner
1: it, just uh, think about how much time you spend on those gimmicks to then come up with one simple probably outcome that you could have probably easily said I understand right. that you, again you're trying to create again a scene in your head but I, I see that happen more often people fail at it where it feels like a gimmick or just has gone too far but the amount of effort you, you, you put into that or sometimes cost, depending on if you hire somebody, you know, especially to bring it in and make that connection. It can just get insane.
2: And I think one time one way of looking at this is if you're designing something like that, take a step back and say, if I were the participant, yes. what would yeah. my reaction be? Right. And in some cases you go, my reaction would be great because you're the designer and the king knows best after all. That was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think a lot of times you think, okay, am I really going to put people through this? Are they really going right. to get it? If I were doing it, I, I think that's just a really good reality check.
1: And I think going back to Dana, your your point with your story before, be aware that if that was your idea, not just only yourself mm-hmm. ask it because again, maybe it's hard for you to. It's, you probably believe that it is a good idea, so get other people's opinions. People yeah, that are far away it. from Prototype it. it. Yeah, prototype mm-hmm. it, test yeah, it, get it some try. ideas.
0: Yep. So, hey, in closing, by the way, speaking of of immersive experiences and things like this, I don't think I told you guys on Wednesday, my boys and I have tickets to go see... We're going to go see Wreck-It Ralph, which is opening day on Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, yeah, I want to see that And then one. when we're done, we're going to go over to The Void and do the new Ralph Breaks VR experience. Oh, oh nice. Oh, so we're doing about the it. double feature. I and hear about it. From, what, yeah, from what I've heard... Uh, ILM has learned a lot from what they did with the Secrets of the Empire and this Wreck-It-Ralph experience they did is supposed to be the best one ever. Oh. So I am very excited to try it and I will report back uh, what I find and, and what I learned from that. And hopefully there's no... That might know, be a DNA's. trip
2: uh, to California or a trip back down to Orlando. Yeah,
0: <laughs> cash in those miles. Do it. So, all right. Well, with that, let's bring the show to an end. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening. It's been great. It was great a couple of weeks ago to meet some of our listeners and that was really, really fun. So yeah, that was, great. Uh, it was we, fun. we'd love yeah. to hear from you. If you've been listening and enjoying this, um, please get in touch with us. You know what? I, I, I've got to make sure we've got our website now. So it's learninggeekspod.com right now. It just links out to the different sources, but we'll get a, a email account set up there and um so that you can write to us because we would love to hear
1: yeah it'd be cool to get some ideas for stories or people's stories right to then talk about too that would be cool
0: that would be great it would well our web designer will be coming home uh, tomorrow I'll be picking him up from the airport, and I have him. I have <laughs> so him hostage. So you're to feed him some turkey exactly. and say, "Hey, get to work." I have him hostage for <laughs> the weekend, so we'll see what we can do that. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks again for listening. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. So on behalf of Jake and Dana and myself, this is Bob saying, "Have a great Thanksgiving week," and thanks for listening to the Learning Geeks, Learning Geeks, Learning Geeks podcast. Bye bye.
1: Thanks everybody. Take care everybody.